Welcome to the show. This is our Business in Vancouver podcast. I'm Haley Wooden. I'm Tyler Orton. And this podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. It's Thursday today, almost the end of the week, but a lot of news happening. Tyler, what are you following today? You know, everybody's talking about Safeway closing 10 stores in BC. I wrote about this earlier in the week and the union representing the BC workers, they say that they were told by Sobeys, which is the parent company of Safeway, that they're looking at closing shops in Vancouver, Richmond, Surrey, even as far out as Mission. Overall, it's going to be affecting up to 1,000 workers, they say, that could be affected either through job losses or else transfers. And what the real story here, though, is... Safeway was acquired by Empire, which was actually the parent company of Sobeys. This is back in 2013, $5.3, $5.8 billion, a huge acquisition, and it was bungled. Uh, Mm. They had major supply chain issues. They had major issues with just things like loyalty points programs, and they lost customers. And it seems as if this is still, you know, unfolding, but the union says the timing of this announcement is no coincidence because they are trying to strike a deal right now with Sobeys. Uh, so they're doing collective bargaining. They've got the notice of store closures. The other thing that we're hearing is that five of these locations, they might actually be replaced by this discount grocery banner, uh, has more of a presence in uh, Toronto, uh, Ontario, and uh, be Freshco. So we could be seeing some changes afoot coming for the grocery industry here in British Columbia quite soon. Would that sort of be a competitor to No Frills? Yeah, that's, yeah. you know, uh, we spoke to Craig Patterson. He's uh, the editor-in-chief at Retail Insider, all about this. He's actually a bit of a, a, a grocery expert as well. Mm-hmm. So, and he was pointing out that this would be the equivalent of No Frills. He was a little surprised just by... You know, what's been going on with Safeway's, you know, presence in BC, keep in mind, this is a tough industry that the margins are very thin. You're dealing with like, I, I think it's obvious, but like a lot of perishables. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 you have to have like kind of the right recipe for knowing what's in demand, what needs to be shipped in, what needs to be shipped out. It, it's a very, very tough business and, and Safeway has been suffering quite a bit ever since this acquisition. Not to mention rising real estate costs in some very prime locations too. He brought that up as well. Although, so one of the things that we spoke about specifically is the City Square location slated for closure. That's the one right across the street from Vancouver City Hall. Close if you've to ever, us, yeah. Have you ever been into that mall? It's it's a weird, weird place. I don't quite know how to describe it. It is. It looks cool from the outside. Sort of has the, the green so, yeah. structure, but it's, yeah, it's different. It, there's all these walkways, you know, mm-hmm. you, you can get lost in there quite easily. <laughs> yeah. There's, it reminds me a bit of Granville Island. I don't yeah. know why, but it sort of does. I, I, I get smaller that vendors. vibe too. But it, look, this is prime real estate. You know, how how does a grocery store maybe not thrive in such a central location? He, he pointed out that within walking distance, you have a Whole Foods, mm-hmm. just a block and a half down the street. And across the street from that Whole Foods, you have a Save on Foods. Mm-hmm. So major competition going on right there. The other thing is if you go... That that's a few blocks north. If you go a few a few blocks um, to the east, that is a no frills as well. So go. there's like four grocery stores all within, I would say, uh, a four block radius of one another. 
I can't imagine competition's hard, and maybe it's no shock that one of these eventually had to give way to the competitors. So we have this bungled acquisition by Empire, and it's coming in the face of the Amazon acquisition of Whole Foods and how that's still shaking out. I think by all accounts, this Whole Foods deal is probably going more smoothly than mm-hmm. the Safeway one. So maybe it just speaks to the uh, the parent companies involved here. But uh, I have to ask you, are, are you a Safeway shopper, Haley? No. Okay. Never really have been. I'm on Commercial Drive and there has been a Safeway sort of at Broadway and right. Commercial. I do. Uh, yeah, I know the one you're talking about. I've been, I've been in there a few times. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've gone there. But again, there's uh, a Donald's Market. There are tons of one-off local vendors if you want produce or anything like that. There is a Super Value, which is uh, part of the Loblaws company as well. And then I, I work here and you're mentioning all the options that we have nearby. So yeah. it, there's a lot of competition. Not the biggest fan of Safeway. Reminds me a bit of IGA. They tend to be a bit dark. They tend to be a bit pricier. Yeah. And the location near us, I don't think it has good visibility. They have their logo sort of on the outside of the building, but you can't see the store like you can if, see the Savon. Yeah. If you're driving north or south on Canby Street, where this mall is, it's difficult to see the Safeway. If you're on 16th Avenue, I, I think there is better signage for that Safeway mm-hmm. if you're going east-west. But yeah, I, just the visibility there. I, I can understand why that one's struggling versus its competitors. Um, I have been into that Safeway, the, the one across the street from City Hall. Again, it, it's maybe it's just reflective of that mall, but it, it's kind of a weird vibe. <laughs> you know? a weird vibe and like it. you said, I, I didn't even think about it, but yeah, it's a little dark in there. What's with I the know. grocery stores that want to be dark? No, I know. It should be bright and inviting and, yeah. and pleasant. Not yeah. too bright, but you know, yeah. you shouldn't feel like, what, I don't know, you what, feel like the lights are going to yeah. get turned off on like you at any second. lighting or, you know, like somebody's got the dimmer switch going. <laughs> save, I, saving costs, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> don't just save on food, but save on costs. There you yeah. go. Okay, wonderful. <laughs> but uh, Haley, what is catching your eye this week? Okay, let's move from groceries to cannabis. We That's had- a great segue. <laughs> Perfect segue. <laughs> we have our tech director. I don't know if the mics picked that up, but he uh, audibly chuckled yeah, at yeah. me. It's uh, well, what would have been better, cash to cannabis? That doesn't work. Um, Cashiers to cannabis from uh, the greens you buy at your Safeway to the greens you smoke. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I I'm gonna stand by what I said, okay. which I think was the most appropriate <laughs> and to the point. We had uh, Canada's biggest cannabis deal by far happen this week. Vancouver's Aurora Cannabis finally acquired Saskatchewan's Canamed Therapeutics. Now, they had been in discussions for months up until even a couple of weeks ago. I think Canamed would have described these discussions as hostile. They were very vocal about this takeover by Aurora. But they came to a, a friendly deal and shares are priced around $43, which is about double what they were at the start of the year. So it sort of adds to some of that cannabis stock mania that we've been hearing about. Aurora out of this gets new production facilities. It adds 200 employees to its operations and actually plans on hiring more. We had uh, someone from Aurora, Cam Batley, on our show to talk about this. They've been on a string of acquiring companies, merging, expanding internationally, and it doesn't seem like there's any end in sight. Yeah, which begs a question, is this what the cannabis industry ultimately wants? I, I, the reason I ask this question is because we're seeing um, what, like 
two or three major players emerging like Mm -hmm. that are going to dominate this industry just completely dominate it and i think what you know um maybe it's better for competition we've got like more competition you know smaller players involved but if the big guys are just eating everybody up you know i i do wonder what that spells for a nascent industry that you you may have, say, the medical licenses, and uh, which have been absolutely exploding over in the last year. We we had maybe a, a dozen, two dozen, just a year ago, about eighty eight at this point. So it's still a very nascent industry, and I think the more competition, the better. But it's going to be changing a whole lot later on in the year as we get the legalized recreational cannabis industry revving up as well. I'm I'm just curious how this market dominance shakes out. How what what it really yeah. means for the vi- vitality of an industry that's let's be honest, this is going to be uh, a very vibrant industry, one <laughs> raking in a whole lot of dough. So, hey, good on them for growing. I, I'm curious if this is the the best thing for not not the company, but for the industry as a whole. Yeah, I uh, so we sort of have you mentioned uh, having a couple of companies that are leading canopy growth. I think is biggest by market cap. Aurora is pretty close behind now. They're about like six point three billion, and Canopy's at six point seven. Yeah, and then Afria I might put up there too. They just acquired Broken Coast on Vancouver Island for two hundred thirty million dollars. This tiny operation. I think too one of the interesting things is it it might be not a bad thing to meet demand, and Aurora has recently won a bid in Italy to supply medical marijuana in that country. So you can see if these companies are growing their footprints and distribution networks, they're going to be the ones that are ready to meet demand, whereas smaller operations simply wouldn't be able to do that. So a positive thing there, but long term, I don't know. We've talked about this in the the brewing industry too. You might end up having your major players, but there might be people who are more sophisticated consumers who really want to go after smaller operations too. I don't know. All right, let's continue our business news and come back right after this break. This podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. Manning Elliott has been providing expert accounting, assurance, business advisory, tax, and valuation services to businesses in the Lower Mainland and Fraser Valley since 1952. If you're serious about taking your business and brand to the next level, and if you want an accounting firm that'll be there to help you every step of the way, Give Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors a call at 604-714-3600. That's 604-714-3600. Or you can check them out on their website at manningelliott.ca. What else are you following? Yeah, another story that I wrote for this week's edition of the newspaper. It's all about medical isotopes. We have this company, Artemis Products Incorporated. It's actually a spinoff from the Triumph uh, Laboratory, which is, of course, Canada's National Particle Accelerator Center. It's a network of all these different uh, agencies, universities, etc. So they've actually been a little stagnant over the years. I wrote about them, I think, about four years ago when they had some breakthroughs with regards to reproducing medical isotopes. Hmm. And this was an industry that was facing a lot of problems because uh, the global medical isotope production it relied off of a nuclear reactor in Chalk River, Ontario. It produced large quantities of these parent isotopes, but... Uh, 
the Canadian government is like, well, this is really expensive. Let's stop doing this. <laughs> so what we have with Artemis, though, is they've, uh, they're looking at cyclotrons, which are these SUV-sized particle accelerators that you're going to find in urban hospitals. Uh, across okay. Canada, we have 18 of these machines, and they actually found a way to produce these medical isotopes through these cyclotrons. So we're actually having, we, we have a problem. And they found a solution to this using just technology that most, you know, medical professionals have access to. So it's very fascinating, this company that just not much going on over the last few years. As of now, they've signed clients in Switzerland and Denmark. They landed a $3 million seed funding deal from Quark Venture Incorporated, Hmm. which is at $500 million U.S. money, by the way, $500 million global venture fund that's based here, backed by Chinese bankers. Uh, they also landed a client that is GE Healthcare, and the plan is is they're going to be adding six systems before the end of the year. Then in 2019, they want to ramp up to 12 systems, and the following year, another 24 systems deployed worldwide. So just a lot of business going on with these guys, and it's just fascinating to see how it, things could be quiet for some of these university spinoffs, but mm-hmm. they're actually realizing a lot of the, uh, I, I, I guess, the, the business potential of scientific breakthroughs and making it worth, you know, kind of the the investment that the government of Canada has put in, which is in the tens of millions of dollars. It's up there. Yeah. So when they realize the return on the investment, maybe further down the road, but it's still fascinating to see what these guys are up to. Well, that's, I, I think, a characteristic of this space. Sometimes it takes a very long time to see results in the medical space, right? Well, it, and that's, okay, and that's why these venture capital funds for, say, life sciences companies, um, it's always fascinating to me because there are always giant funds. You know, we could have, like, a digital software company. They make an announcement because they've raised $3 million, for example. But in these life sciences companies, the notable announcements are, like, we've raised $20 million. We've raised, mm-hmm. you know, $40 million. The reason why is because just the research you have to do and the testing you have to do all to get licensed, approved by regulators and so forth, it is incredibly expensive, way more than it is to hire some coders to develop digital software, for example. Yeah. And it's probably a bigger team too. If you have scientists working on this and people with different expertise, I don't know. Well, it's interesting because I, I think it varies though. Uh, with Artemis, for example, they have I, two permanent employees mm. and one of whom is you know kind of the head researcher here and like i said the, the company wasn't very busy though it, it wasn't like you have like the it, it's not like this you know tech startup where you know they're knocking on doors non-stop yeah the other people have full-time jobs that they're doing so they're actually adding four permanent employees to this <laughs> roster um, they really do want to get more business development going on. So it is going to be fascinating to see, I guess, how busy they can prove the market it would uh, bear for this particular product. Because there, there literally is a global shortage on these medical isotopes. So if you have a Vancouver-based company or university endowment land-based company, <laughs> that just rolls off to the tongue. To get technical, yeah. yeah. But uh, doing such a thing, I think it's pretty cool. It's, it's fascinating to see kind of the the commercial exploits you can get out of the scientific research. That's very cool. Yeah. And what what is a medical isotope you know, okay, that's actually a very good question that I should have answered. <laughs> but it, it's essentially for uh, like diagnosing cancer and cardiac okay. uh, 
issues that people have. So, um, yeah, it's a very, very important with regards to those medical uh, issues. Life-saving. Uh, life-saving, yeah. Exactly. Very cool. And so. that's happening in our backyard. Exactly. What about you, Haley? All right, well. What else is happening in our backyard? Let's, let's come up with an interesting segue here. Yeah, please do. <laughs> life-saving to just interesting. To interesting. <laughs> life-disrupting. I don't okay, know. Okay, okay. Tell NAFTA. me what it is. Maybe I NAFTA. can come up. You want to take a crack at this? Sure. Well, you know what? Um, medical isotopes emit energy and I feel a whole lot of energy going on during the, <laughs> these uh, current NAFTA negotiations. Is it positive or negative? Oh, both. <laughs> oh, yeah. both. Yeah. It's just all the energy. All right. Well, let's start with the positive. Canada's foreign minister, Christian Freeland, said the government is positive that we're going to come to a friendly solution when it comes to NAFTA. However, she did warn at the World Economic Forum that we should not be expecting a resolution in this current round, which is happening in Montreal. It's the sixth round of negotiations. More broadly than that, Canada has tabled some new ideas on some very controversial topics. Automobile rules, dispute resolution, and the U.S. sunset clause that the U.S. wants to see implemented. The interesting thing about dispute resolution is Canada's maybe looking at coming up with some sort of a bilateral side agreement with Mexico to keep Chapter 11 specifically, which is investor state uh, dispute resolutions. Uh, that's where that's handled. Keep that the same, but then potentially have a different arrangement with the U.S. where disputes would be handled in domestic courts. So a new idea, and I think part of the strategy here is for Canada to test the U.S.'s willingness to actually come up with a deal that is reasonable by the standards of all three countries, so not just what's reasonable by U.S. standards. Well, I saw a report from Reuters today, and they're talking about how they're, they're quoting anonymous sources here, but that the U.S. side is just not budging on anything. Essentially, the U.S. is saying, this is what our offer is, take it or leave it. And it actually kind of mirrors what we were hearing a few months back or a few weeks back when the U.S. side was complaining that Canada is doing the exact same thing. You know, mm -hmm. th here's our position. Do with it as you will. There, there's no negotiating, no back and forth going on between the players here. I don't know how productive that actually makes for negotiations, though. I think based on what's been achieved, probably not very productive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, the other uh, story that I was looking at, uh, Bloomberg had a story about how, look, we've we got NAFTA negotiations going on. You know, are we going to see the United States exit from this free trade agreement? Well, guess what? There's already a bit of a, a trade war going on with Canada. You have the United States doing the softwood lumber stuff, mm -hmm. taking aim at, say, the dairy industry. We also have, uh, for example, the United States put up uh, tariffs on solar panels this week, mm -hmm. Canadian company based in Ontario that uh, is deeply affected by those tariffs that have just been put in place as well. So it looks like this trade war with Canada has already kind of been rolling out. Boeing uh, uh, and the uh, uh, Bombardier dispute as well. Mm -hmm. So this just, it, yeah, it, it's escalating. Yeah. So... <laughs> I it is I, look maybe our first instinct would be to say oh we're Canadian so we pay attention to what's going on in Canada and that's why it seems as if you know there's a lot of you know attention being paid to us with regards to being targets for a trade war but I don't think it's 
out of line to say that Canada's kind of been more targeted than, say, um, the average country out there, like, let's say, um, Tanzania. I don't know if, <laughs> you know. And yeah. a, a lot of it has to do with our proximity. For sure. You know. And we're having these NAFTA renegotiation oh, yeah. discussions, which is sort of an impetus for this. I think China, to some extent, is in the crosshairs of the U.S., but they might be a little bit more cautious on that front. I think Canada's been a pretty easy target, if even just for the politics of it. Forget, sure. you know, whether it's reasonable or not. Anyway, we'll we'll see. I like to keep everyone updated on the yeah, NAFTA file week to week. You can work on those segues uh, for the next podcast. It's my podcast. project for next week. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate everyone listening despite the terrible, terrible segues. I promise it'll be better next week. But for now, that's our podcast. Thanks so much for listening to Business in Vancouver. This podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. Tyler, where can people go to find more news? Yeah, uh, you can find my stories at BIV.com or else follow me on Twitter. I'm at Reporton. That's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N. Haley, what about you? Yeah, for all the awful segues, you can follow me on Twitter <laughs> at Haley Wooden. And yeah, BIV again for podcasts. Podcasts also available on iTunes if you'd like to go there. Again, that's it for this week. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back on Tuesday. <laughs>